Hymn 954, We All Believe in One True God.
the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You form my inward parts. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts to me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Now, as our opening prayer, following the great Trinitarian hymn, We All Believe in One True God, I prayed selections from Psalm 139, which is the psalm for the week. One of the psalms chosen to highlight creation, and a psalm which certainly influenced Martin Luther in his explanations of the Catechism, particularly the first article of the Creed. And the first article of the Creed is there before you in the congregation at prayer. And like Psalm 139, I want you to notice how intimate the explanation is. When one confesses simply the first article itself, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, one can see themselves, like Carl Sagan described planet Earth, one speck in this vast universe, as if to assert that the Earth is not significant and even more damaging individual human beings made in the image and likeness of God are not significant. 
the song is commentary on the first chapter of Genesis, on the creation of man in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, and commentary on his continuous creation in you and in me gathered here today. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You form me in my mother's womb. You knit me together. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is a, that is a message that we need to preach and teach to our children from little on. Because it is only in our relationship to God do we have mental health when that relationship is ordered rightly. And it is only in our proper relationship to the Lord who has redeemed us that we have true spiritual health, emotional health, and well-being. So we are not wrong, we do not err when we talk about the corruption of our nature by original sin. But we do if we fail to articulate that human life itself made in the image and likeness of God is still, though corrupted, nonetheless sacred and holy. And so recite with me the the first article explanation from the Catechism. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Here again, what the Catechism does is bring into our conscious reflection on a day-to-day -day basis that our bodies are created by God. If you're short, if you're tall, if you have brown hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, whatever you have, God has made you. And your clothing, your food, this nice French roast coffee that I'm drinking this morning, okay? Uh, our house and our home and our wife and our children and our land, our animals and all that we have. Again, this connection with God and understanding that we have a God who is intimately involved in our lives, and that's an article of faith. 
What we see are the physical things. What faith confesses is who's behind the physical things in creation. And as I said, this is what gives us, among other things, you know, mental health. When we, or our society or culture, when our young people and children are severed from the realities that the Christian faith asserts on the basis of God's word, it leads to all manner of disorder, chaos, and mental illness. So um, the church is not to blame for the chaos of the world today, but the godless secularization of the world that perceives the world as being a natural order devoid of any supernatural divine influences, that's a problem. Okay. Um, any comments on that? What we're going to do is, um, I, after, last week's, um, after last week's Bible class and so forth, um, some questions and suggestions made to me, we are going to take up, I'll always do my introduction to the congregation at prayer, uh, each Bible class at the beginning, but we will go into a study of the book of Genesis. Uh, and so there's so much there. It has been a while. A lot of the didache uh, focuses on the first three chapters of Genesis. But we will walk through Genesis over the course of this uh, year together. But first, our verse for the week, which certainly ties in with the first article of the Creed. Uh, John 1, 1 through 3, and we talked some about it last week. Let us speak it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. All right. We've already commented in the past how John begins his gospel with the same phrase, albeit in Greek, that Moses began the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. So in the beginning, now was the word, the logos, logos, this does, this does not refer to information, but the person of the Son. So the eternal word of the Father is the only begotten Son of God. There is a tight relationship between the inscripturated word, the oral word of God preached by the apostles and prophets, the scriptures, the word of God that we study, and the person of the eternal word, namely the only begotten Son of the Father. So, in the beginning was the word. The word, here is, again, the Son, was with God, and the word, the Son, was God. He, the he, 
the word, was in the beginning with God. Now we see Father. Okay? All things were made through him, namely God the word. All things were made through him, and without him, God the word, nothing was made that was made. So yesterday in the sermon, one of the sermons, talked about one of my teachers, Dr. Scare, said all theology is Christology. And I asserted all knowledge that is truth about how things are, biology, chemi chemistry, uh, mathematics, whatever the discipline is is finally Christology. So when we're studying things about human beings, the way they're made, the way they're knit together in their mother's womb, we are studying or learning something of Christology, the study of Christ, the person of Christ. So when the word through whom all things were made becomes flesh and dwells among us, this has profound significance for understanding who we are for our value and our place in this world. And um, you just take broad strokes, simple things, like water, which we'll see in Genesis here. The significance of water, that compound, for the creation and ongoing preservation of life and then the creation and ongoing presence of spiritual life in Christ. Okay? In Jesus, we find the identity for all human stations and callings, vocations in life. So it's not just a man who learns what a man is from Jesus. It is also from Jesus and what he does that a woman or a wife learns who she is. So all knowledge is to be understood through the lens of the eternal word of the Father through whom all things were made. So let's speak the verse one more time. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All right. Any questions or comments that you maybe wish to make on that? Yes, Pastor Gelbach. You, you, you have the microphone, but you are exempt and other people? In the Greek. Is it maybe muted back there? Uh, Ken, can you un unmute number four? Push the button. Yeah, okay, button. that's right. Okay. Uh, in the Greek Old Testament, the first two words are exactly the same as what John begins. So, I mean, there is that Yeah, let me, let me explain what he just said in the Greek Old Testament. Say, I thought the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Then the 70 scholars translated it into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. So it's often instructive to see how those scholars translated it 
uh, when it comes to New Testament theology. How, how the Greek Old Testament Septuagint influenced the phraseology and the wording in the New Testament. There's a, how that is brought forward. Well, uh, yeah, I would, I would dispute that, though, that, that the Septuagint does not influence the apostles. But, but it does reflect the proper understanding, and it, it's illuminating for understanding. Yeah. The reason I say that is because it, otherwise it fights against divine inspiration and so forth. Okay? Whereas the translators of the Septuagint are not the prophets, but scholars. Okay? All right, uh, so let us uh, take up uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1 and a few more uh, things that we wanted to comment on there. The first thing is that I want to talk about the Trinity and allusions to the Trinity in chapter 1 and then chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. So, as we spoke last week, when the word God appears by itself, never would it be an exclusion of the second and third persons of the Trinity, but most often the first person, God the Father, is referred to. Anytime you're talking about God the Father, you are immediately talking about also the Son, because Father is the relationship of the first person to the Son. And that relationship is one of being eternally begotten. Begotten, what does that mean? From the other. But it is an eternal thing. So there has never been a time in which the son has not been from the father. Whereas my sons are begotten of Peter, but there was a time they did not exist. Not so with the eternal son. And if you look at the comparison my sons are, though there was a time they did not exist, though they're begotten of me, they're nonetheless fully human. There's no diminution of the human nature that they have. So also, the son, eternally begotten of the father, is of one nature, of one substance with the father, by whom all things were made, as the Nicene Creed declares, reflecting language from John chapter 1. Okay, so think of God the Father. John chapter 1 helps us think of God the Son, the eternal word of the Father. So God said, let there be. So it is more than a word, you know, vocalization of words. But when the Father speaks, uh, his, it, it is the eternal word, the Father uh, uh, the Son, who goes forth from the Father and is Creator. And then the Spirit of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit hovering over the surface of the waters. And then when you pick up in the end of chapter 1, verse 26, God said, 
So think of the Father speaking, let us, and there he refers to the Son and the Spirit, make man in our image. An image is a reflection, like you would see in the mirror. And since we're talking about Trinitarian revelation, who is the God in whose image we are made? You must start with the Holy Trinity. And we don't, we don't confess and plumb the depths and the mystery and the wonder of God being triune enough. So when we're talking to other people about our faith, when we use the term God, I fear that all too often you and I are just kind of like generic God. Singular divine being, monotheism. Well, there is only one God, and that is important, but just as important as asserting that there is only one God is that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So remember the Athanasian Creed, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. The Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So there's the unity of the Godhead and of the divine nature, but three distinct persons. As distinct as persons, as Steve is a person, Joanne is a person, and I am a person. Now, we are not the Holy Trinity, but, but there is a relationship, as you see here in Genesis chapter 1, where the Father is speaking to the Son and the Spirit. What a wonder. So we are made in the image and likeness of the triune God. That's very important. That is why the ordering of our relationships is so important and is not only reflection upon what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the triune God, but if you attack those relationships, dismiss them, reject them. Where did Kent go? Oh, Kent, you moved. You were over there and you, like, where's Waldo? Said, where's Kent? By the way, I do have that in my car, the device that you're looking for, okay? Um, when you attack those relationships, what it is to be a man, a woman, and children's relationships to their parents, you are actually attacking the triune God in whose image we are made. It's that significant. And you are attacking the eternal word of the Father through whom all things were made. And as Paul said, quoted this yesterday in Col from Colossians, in him, Christ, all things hold together. So let us make man in our image. Remember Harry Potter? 
in the second book, I believe it was the second book. Is it the second book or the first book? The, 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 the mirror, help me. It was the first book? Harry went in front of this mirror. What was the mirror called? The, okay. And when he looked in the mirror, instead of just seeing himself, he saw himself and his father and his mother, and they put their hands on his shoulder. You know, his parents died when he was little. This analogy or image I want you to understand, we were talking about God in the mirror, what we should see reflected is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we're made in the image and likeness of God, the ordering of the human creation is a reflection of the triune God. Now, you've heard me say on other occasions, and it bears repeating now, it doesn't mean that the Father is a male, the Son is a female, and the Holy Spirit are children from that type of union? Absolutely not. However, we express the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of the triune God for the giving and receiving of two related things. We, and I'm going to ask you what they are, we express that sexually. I hate to use that term, but it, for lack of a better one. We express that in the physical union, which at the end of Genesis is called what? One flesh. At the end of Genesis, it's called one flesh. Uh, we also refer to it as marriage, but it is called one flesh. Why is it called one flesh? No. Because we are made in the image and likeness of the triune God. One God. You see, one God who is nonetheless a trinity of persons, one flesh, a trinity of persons. Husband, wife, Children, you see the trinity of persons there. One God, a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. Now go back to the caution that I just gave you. God is not a sexual being. However, when we're created in his image and likeness as a triune God, as a one flesh, we express that in our physicality as husband, wife, and children that proceed from that relationship. Now, I said there were two things. God created us in his image and in his likeness to be like he is in the relationship between the persons of the Trinity, there is a giving and a receiving of two things. This is the question now, what are they? 
in the Godhead. Giving and receiving. You ought to be able to name one of them right off the bat because it refers to God's nature. Love. That wasn't hard, was it? It shouldn't be hard. You see, the problem with Allah, who's a false god, is not a real god, is there is no love. There's no self-giving love. No sacrificial love. None whatsoever. That's the problem with Allah. As well as any other deity who is a monotheistic deity. He's alone. Or she's alone. Some people worship Mother Earth. She's alone. Okay. Only the triune God subsists eternally and lacks for nothing. How lonely it would be for you if you are isolated from all human contact. Wouldn't that be terrible? Now, Cherie, uh, I mean, since James was called to his rest, you've been here, you were always here a lot before, but you've been here even more since. Is that not true? true? Yeah. Yeah. And yes, to hear the word of God, to be nurtured in the sack, but to have the fellowship and communion with other Christians, with other human beings. At the end of Genesis, or two, not quite at the end, but towards the end, you know, it's not good that the man should be alone because we're made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. And the way I've been describing this love for you for years, God is love, you know, this is not, God is love. He's got love. You know, there's, there's a definition for that. It is the giving of the self to another so that the other would live. And that leads to the second thing. So there's the giving and receiving of love within the Godhead, and there's the giving and receiving of what? It's another L word. Life. So love, self-giving love, and life, go together, okay? So when we talk about the motivation for God creating, it is this self-giving love that creates and promotes life. So you see, we are made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love and life. To be like he is a community of loving persons, where there's the giving and receiving of love among us. But there's a proper ordering to that. Okay? There's a proper ordering of that. In our world today, gender dysphoria, abortion on demand, um, euthanasia. euthanasia, sex change, is a destruction and a direct attack upon what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love and life. It is an attack on Christology, the person and work of Jesus, who is the express image of the Father and who has a bride, namely his church created from his side. And what is characteristic there? The giving 
and receiving of love and life. Okay? And, and of course, in, in, in redemption, it is anchored in the forgiveness of sins, which causes Luther to say, where there's forgiveness, there's life and salvation. And, and there's nothing more loving from God, and it's a sacrificial love as well as a self-giving love, when he says, for the sake of his son, I forgive you. Uh, that is not only a word of love, but it is a word of love that recreates and reestablishes life. Okay, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I want you to understand, to be made in the image and in the likeness of the triune God of love. It's not that God is a sexual being, but when we're made in his image and likeness, we are created to be a reflection of the triune God who is a community of persons and who gives and receives love and life within the economy of the Trinity, how that then expresses itself in the human creation. And this is central to being human, is to be male and female. Do you know why God made us male and female? To give and receive love that produces life. Two men cannot produce life. Two women cannot produce life. Not only does God define what marriage is, what human beings are, any other definition is a violation of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. So he's created us male and female for the express purpose of the giving and receiving of love that, that results in what we call procreation, which is not professional creation, but it rather means that we are alongside of God in this gracious work. And the having of children, the giving and receiving of love and life is directly connected to the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. Okay, Pastor Gilbert. Your uh, description of the, this world's corruption with dysphoria, LGTB, all of those things, <clears throat> to remember these are religions. These are the people's religions we're dealing with, which it's not political, it's not science, it's religious views. And if we view, understand that, it helps us just address the issue. Yeah, well, it, it, it is religious. And it's, it's actually, it would be a religion that overturns God's science, okay? Because um, what used to be thought of, Kent, you know, as mental illness, which is disordering of what it is to be healthy, uh, is now defined as healthy. Whoa, where did that come from? And it, it, it is not healthy, it leads to destruction. You know, follow the science, but you're not following uh, the science. So, so all science and knowledge comes back to uh, the person of Christ. So, now, how is, I, I talked about first being made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. To be like he is, he is a community of loving persons for the giving and receiving of love and life and the love and the life go together. 
it is then expressed in the human relationships in God's institution of marriage when a man and a woman are brought together by God. And, and that's very significant in Genesis 2. It is God who created Eve out of Adam. It is God who brought Eve to Adam. And then it is Adam who confessed, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, woman, for she was taken out of man. That's God's ordering. Now notice there, there is a relationship. Uh, father to the son. The son is begotten of the father. Not dissimilar, the woman is out of the man. And Paul talks about this, the head in 1 Corinthians, the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of the man, uh, the head of Christ is God the Father. So, the, again, we're not talking about God being a sexual being, but that ordering there. Okay? So, remember what I said about in terms of your identity, women? Even you, as wives, understand your place, if you will, to be patterned after the fact that Christ is begotten of the Father. You are taken out of man. When a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, the two become one flesh. When he leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, there's a new ordering, a new headship. So little girls, their head is their daddy. So Hannah, your head is that man over there. But when your husband cleaves to you, then you have a new head. But right now, your head is your father, and his head is Christ. Okay? And then the new head becomes the husband, and his head is Christ. So this is the way in which God orders, and that ordering is a reflection of the Holy Trinity. This is why it is not wrong, and I, and I object to the gender neutralizing in hymnody and liturgy. Um, man with God is reconciled. In that phrase, ah, sexist phrase. No, no, no. In such a phrase, as from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, by the way, what is being articulated? When you say man in that context, just like when we say God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Are we excluding women? No. But we are expressing the understanding of the ordering of the Godhead. So, man, when we say man, we're talking about men and women made in the image and likeness of God. And when we use that language, we're reflecting the ordering and the theology of that ordering from the sacred scriptures. Okay? Now, created to be like God is and to do like God does. God is love and life, the giving and receiving of life among the persons. 
How is that then expressed in the human family, in marriage, and in family? It's the two things referred to in Genesis 1, 26 and following. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that creeps on the earth. So how is it expressed? What two things? Be, in being fruitful and in exercising dominion. And notice both of those things, having children and the exercise of dominion, is rooted in the nature of the triune God in whose image we are made. Namely, the nature of love, the giving and receiving of love that creates life. So when we talk about self-giving love, where it manifests itself then in the relationship, the one flesh union of marriage, is the husband giving himself over physically and in every way to his wife who receives him. And in the reception of him in the flesh, there is when God wills conception and children that is directly related to being made in the image and likeness of God. So when rhetoric in the world speaks against marriage, it speaks against family, it speaks against all of those things, it is undermining the very fabric of Christian theology and what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. All right, Paul. Uh, the Son is begotten of the Father. Yep. I think we're saying that's an absolute statement. That's an absolute statement. It's not just referring to uh, uh, God uh, 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 as the Father of the Son and human nature only. No, no. That's, that's not right. No. Okay. Uh, then is the Trinity eternal? Yes. That's why I call, I mean, this may blow your mental synapses, but this begetting is an eternal begetting of the Son. That's why I made the um, point of comparison. I have sons, they're fully human, but there was a time in which they didn't exist. Not so the eternal Son of the Father. So what you're saying is not limited by time. It is not limited by time. It transcends time. Okay? Uh, we've got here, Pastor. Steve? I was just going to reiterate. It sounds like it was an act in history. That's why the time part seems... Yeah, it's, it's not an act. That's eternally begotten. I mean, it blows your mental synapses, I suppose. I mean, I can conceive more. I've told you this before. Eternity moving forward, but eternity going backward blows my mind, but I'm, I'm not divine. Pastor, you, you, we focused on verse 26. 
Yeah. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I'm sure in your ministry at least once you've talked to a non-Trinitarian about that passage. What is the most common explanation they give for why that passage does not say what that passage says? Well, I think in most cases, if someone's not Trinitarian, they don't know much about the Bible, period. And so that's, you know, that's why they, they would say that. Um, there are, I have not talked to um, an Orthodox Jew about that, although there, is, uh, there are some who speak of the us as the, the heavenly beings, not, not other divine beings and so forth. So there's different permutations uh, of that. Um, and that certainly would be, like if you're a Mormon, how many of you are Mormons? Uh, no. <laughs> Mormons are polytheists, okay? And so they believe in many gods. So the let us make man in our image, then it becomes, you know, the council of the gods, okay? Yeah. Other, other questions or points of, of clarification here? So do you um, understand within the, within the Godhead, the relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit? The Son is begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And out of this relationship of love, and it is why the, the Spirit is called the Spirit of love from the Father and the Son. And also, in the Nicene Creed, how is the Holy Spirit referred to? The Lord and giver of life. So you, you see how much, actually, in the biblical revelation by God of who he is, love and life are paramount. And when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, it ought to be self-evident, but we, you know, we're, we like need a two-by-four over the head. It's life, 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 the creation of life. But that life, life, life is not a creation of life without meaning, without significance, without purpose. Okay? Um, it is generated by the very self-giving love of God. So his... He gives of himself when he creates. So we learn things about God from the creation. Okay? We learn things about God from the creation. And in this world of disorder and chaos, I mean, just think about the rhythm of the day where the sun comes up in the morning and most of us work during the day and those of us who have to work at night Lord, have mercy upon you. It's, a, it's not natural, necessary in some cases, yes, but not the natural thing to do. You enjoy the benefits of the sun in what it does for the growing of the crops, and even you need it. You know, we have such a vitamin D deficiency today because we're not out in the sunshine as much as uh, we were a hundred years ago and so forth. Just, and then at the end of the day, the evening and the morning, there's a day. At the end of our day, we fall asleep and then the cycle begins all over again. 
the pattern of a day, the pattern of a week, uh, the pattern of a month, of a year. Did you see the moon last night? Uh, going home, I was driving uh, west on Main Street, and it was this humongous full moon. Uh, recognizing these things, the order in creation, as a reflection also then of the God of love, why he did this, uh, and for the preservation of life. Love and life go together. Okay. Other, other questions here? Okay. James, you're first and you're older than Wally, so you get it. An observation, the Hebrew word for hovering suggests the hen hovering over her, her eggs in order to create life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? The Hebrew word for hovering, like the hen hovering over her eggs uh, to give them life, to preserve life, to nurture it. It seems like something's missing at, at the, uh, at the saying the words of institution in the prayer following that it talks about the, the, the Lord, the Son of God. Something about, it seems missing that doesn't have something in there about the, the only begotten Son of God in the, in the uh, prayer book. In, in the liturgy for setting two? Well, I'll have to look at it. Okay. Um, you want me to look at it right now? You're talking about the prayer, the Eucharistic prayer. 100... And 70, blessed are you, Lord of heaven and earth, you have had mercy on those whom you created and sent your only begotten son. I'm reading it right there, your only begotten son, page 178, into our flesh. Page 178. Get him some glasses, Mary. Second line. No, no, I'm looking at prayer of thanksgiving. Blessed are you on page 178. 179. Well, it's all part of a piece. Our Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father. That's also how it is referred to. But only begotten is in the prayer before that. It's not like there's a contradiction or false teaching. Okay, that, but there's the Eucharistic prayer at the beginning refers to him as the only begotten. Other, other questions here. Okay, now, I want to take you then to chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. One of the things that sin does is it causes us to envision ourselves always in isolation or separated from other people. That is really fascinating. First Kent was back there, then he was over there, and now he's here. You're messing with me, Franklin. You're messing with me. Okay, we tend to think of things in isolation. And so, this is a problem that has been caused among a myriad of others because of the fall into sin. So remember when Adam and Eve were created, they were naked 
and they were not ashamed. There was absolutely nothing stifling their communion. Uh, sorry. Uh, here, Beth is over there. This will be safer. There's, there was simply nothing stifling their communion. Now what happens? When we say something to our spouse, he thinks that she's attacking him. Okay? She misunderstands him. He misunderstands her. You see the, the breach in communion there. Because we tend to think of ourselves in isolation. And there is isolation caused by sin. The problem of sin separates. It divides. Forgiveness of sins reconciles and restores that which is divided. That's why when I do marital catechesis, the, the chief and almost only thing I care about is forgiving one another. Because that's the foundation of the restoration of the one flesh union. Okay. Susan. At the very beginning, you were talking about communion and life. Yep. So if communion creates life, looking at myself and being separated creates death? That's correct. Yep. Communion creates life because what is a communion? We talk about the communion of saints. It is the fellowship of forgiven sinners. At the heart and essence of that holy communion is the forgiveness of sins. And, and that's, that's biblical theology. Okay? Uh, Eastern Orthodoxy says that our biggest problem is death. Death is a result of sin. Death is not the cause of sin. Therefore, if the cause of death is taken care of, namely sin, the result is life and a restoration of communion with God and with one another. Okay, good. So, in this verse 7 of chapter 2, where is woman within man? She has not yet been taken, woman, out of man, but she is within him. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when the eggs are in the chicken, and then it's a good thing when the eggs come out of the chicken, and James, when the hen hovers over the eggs, and they hatch, and life pops out of the shells. So God's ordering is good. I had a relative once upon a time, 30-some years ago, say to me when the contorai that I was singing in for the seminary came uh, to their town, and she was in her 30s, early 30s, and she learned that the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, doesn't ordain women. Are you telling me that the Missouri Synod doesn't ordain women? Oh, I could never be a Missouri Synod. I said, well, and this might sound like a glib, flippant remark, but I said, I can't have babies. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Well, it does mean something. I mean, I'm not a woe man, so I don't have a womb. 
and I don't have over, ovaries. Those, uh, Dr. Wenthe used to speak about how we have a sacred and holy responsibility for our biological material. We live in a world that doesn't see our biological material or what we are uniquely as men and women as being sacred and holy. You know, but it, but it is. Okay, so Eve is within Adam here. What an amazing thing. And then this communion then, Susan, remember the giving and receiving of love for life's sake, she is taken out of man and then God brings her back for a new kind of communion. When you got married, you went on your honeymoon, wasn't it like you just wanted to give of yourself completely to the other? That's a reflection without withholding anything. All that you are, physically, emotionally, in every way, is given to your spouse, and vice versa. So God creates Eve out of man, woe man, and then he brings her back. And then Jesus comments about it. What God has joined together, therefore let no one put asunder. But of course, there's the ripping apart that brings about death. There's abuse that goes on because of the problem of sin that destroys the one flesh union. There's adultery that destroys the one flesh union, and that's all a result of sin. But before getting to those things, I just want you to contemplate and go home today thinking about the wonder of what it is to be human. And then if you, t you come down here, then finally in conclusion, uh, Genesis 2, verse 18 the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. That's not good. That's in direct contrast to everything he said in chapter 1. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then at the end, when it was all ordered and completed, it was very good. It's not good that man should be alone because he is incomplete alone and he cannot reflect the image of God in the giving and receiving of love. There is no one to give that love and life to. So he needs one to love for the sake of life. Or he cannot reflect the image of God. All right. It is uh, just a couple of minutes past our time. We'll continue with uh, Genesis and themes next week, even as we move towards the fall into sin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, you can sit there and I can go around. Yeah, I can see you right away. It's no problem. You can sit there. I don't mind.